There's this guy named Reagan that I met a couple years ago, and even just thinking about him makes me smile because he's that kind of he's got that kind of genuine soul that has that grounded presence, you know, that you can just feel when you're with him. And during quarantine, I decided I want to call up some people and interview them about their faith journey because that's my idea of a good time, especially when you're isolated at home. And so I call up Reagan, and he tells me this beautiful, at times tragic, but incredibly human journey that he's been on with his faith and spirituality. And I wanted to share some of it with you, because I hope that you find it as beautiful and Um, And maybe it's healing for some parts of you, like it is for me. So a little about Reagan. Like me, Reagan grew up in a Christian home where religion was a big part of his life from early on. And I'm always curious about how people process this great, big, mysterious life that we're all born into, especially when they're young. And so Reagan shared with me how he saw the world and how his religious upbringing shaped how he saw the world when he was growing up. Tell me about your childhood. What was, what did the world look like from Reagan's six-year-old or 16-year-old mind and how, um, I know you have a faith and religion background. And so tell me about how any of that got started for you. You know, like one is I remember growing up and if like my parents happened to like be in the backyard or like they were across the street at a neighbor's house uh, or I was in a house alone, um, I would worry if the rapture happened. Yes. And I, I would like go turn on the faucets of water to see if blood came out, you know, or something like, I, like you know, like I, I don't even know if that's in the Bible, but I thought that like water, all the wa- water turns to blood or something. Yeah. Uh, or like I'd see it like if the moon had turned to blood. Uh, and, and then another one is I remember in middle school, like raising my hand in the middle of a youth group and attached this youth pastor who I really connected with. He said, what, what questions do you have? And I asked this question, like, am, I'm, am I going to go to hell? Like I'm worried if I'm going to go to hell. And you know, that was like 13, 14 years old. And I remember getting really emotional about that. Um, and growing up with my cousins, you know, so we were, United Pentecostal, uh, that's like my upbringing. So very charismatic, uh, very, very conservative and legalistic. Um, you know, women have to wear the long dresses, can't cut their hair. Men have to wear the pants. You can't participate in sports at school. You can't go to school dances. You don't watch TV. Basically, your community is your church. It's a little culty. Um, and I remember my cousin saying something about, man, I need to make sure that every time I do something wrong, I need to repent in the moment. Cause if the rapture happens, I don't want to have something on my, on my ledger that I'll be held accountable for. So I say all that to say like to this day, all of my thinking by default, if I'm not conscious is very binary, mm-hmm. very black and white, very right and wrong. And some of the biggest arguments I get in with my partner, 
some of the biggest uh, moments of anxiety for me or anger at other people have to do when I feel like I've been painted to be wrong mm. because there's a lot of fear there. Is the fear if I am wrong, if they think I'm wrong, if that's actually true that I'm wrong, then, then hell, then I'm in the bad category, then I'm, I'll be separated, you know, wheat and chaff yeah. kind of feeling of like, oh, like you, is the desire not to be seen as wrong or is the fear that maybe it's actually true that I'm bad? As a kid, it was, I, maybe it's true that I'm bad. I was very worried. Like I would get called to the principal's office and immediately I would think you know, I, I was in trouble when like my mom was bringing me Taco Bell, you know? I could relate to these stories so closely from my own childhood that like low grade fear and anxiety, like I might not be fully safe or fully okay. Like, is the rapture going to happen? Or, oh no, the principal is calling me. It's probably because I'm bad and I've been found out or whatever. Or, uh, gosh, yeah, just hearing these stories, I told Reagan it's healing to me um, just to hear that somebody else had a similar experience, similar experiences growing up. And he told me another story that I just love about how the outside world felt to him growing up like outside of the home or the family or the faith in the outside world growing up the outside world was always an enemy so like couldn't do ninja turtles right like couldn't do rugrats uh pokemon were actually little demons like don't even talk about harry potter uh, so like i remember there's a viv another vivid scene i would be in my closet like i was in the closet as a ninja turtle lover and <laughs> I would, I, I knew the song cause I watched one episode at my friend's house and I would go in the closet and sing the song to myself, like for such a desire to be part of the world, but it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. And that applied to dating and everything else. Uh, does that not just hit you in the gut? This image of a kid who's like, I know this song is wrong, but I gotta sing it. So you go in the closet, close the door, and you sing every word knowing this is bad, but it's got to come out. Uh, I just love those stories so much. <sighs> yeah. And then he goes on to tell me another story from his childhood that I couldn't directly relate to because my tradition didn't practice speaking in tongues. So you're familiar with the idea of speaking in tongues? Yes. So imagine you're like six and you see all of these people like passing out and like they have these things underneath the front row of the church pews um, called, I think they're called privacy cloths or something. So if a woman passes out because she's slain in the spirit, you can throw it over so you like don't see your knees, you know, because then that would cause you to lust. Like, so like people are like falling left or, and running around and speaking tongues. So as I'm a kid, I'm like, and, and we were taught to believe. So there's three steps to salvation. You need to accept Jesus into your heart. You have to be baptized and you have to receive the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you do not go to heaven. So imagine you're six years old and you can't figure out how to speak in tongues. Like you just can't do it. 
again, it's this thing outside of me that's supposed to happen that maybe it's going to, I'm going to get it or not. So dude, I would go around faking it. Like I would say, come up with weird things to say, like, you know, Japanese cars, like I should have bought a Hyundai, but I bought a Honda, like, and, and, and seriously, this would be a thing. And I remember I got baptized and I came up and the water was so cold and like my chin was shuddering. And I thought like, this is it. Like this thing is about to come out of me that I've never done before. And it was just, I was cold. Uh, the water was cold, you know? (laughs) So Dude, that was, that was the constant worry. Like every Sunday, am I going to get it? Can you imagine growing up and going through life wondering, will this be the day or the week or the Sunday that I finally get the thing that will make me okay and complete? Yeah, for, for me, it wasn't speaking in tongues, but I had other things that I was like, once I finally get that, then I'll be okay. But right now, at some fundamental level, I'm not okay. Yeah. I asked Reagan, what was the overwhelming or overarching feeling or sense that you had growing up? I'm defective. Like I've got a piece missing. And Anne Lamott says in one of her books, um, you know, I missed the day in third grade where they gave the instructions on how to have self-confidence, you know, and, and for, the, for the rest of my life, I just, I, 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 I went around believing that, like, there's, I'm missing this one piece. And so I think growing up, that looked like believing that whatever is going to be my salvation is going to be something outside of me because I, I'm, I'm handicapped. And so that turned into believing God is outside of me. Uh, that turned into believe things that I do might lead to my salvation. And eventually that turned into me having a drinking problem. Um, so Reagan went on to tell me about what high school was like for him. He had this feeling that even though on the inside, he was doing his best and trying to be good, ultimately it was something outside of him that was the ultimate arbiter of truth that would decide if he was actually good or bad, right or wrong. And he couldn't trust himself to know if he was okay. And so that led to him seeking affirmation from people and things outside of him, like teachers and authorities or friends. And he told a story I love about, he went to a large high school, like 600 people, and he would open up his yearbook and put a check mark next to people's faces that he had talked to, hoping that he would eventually talk to everyone so that if at some point someone was interviewed and asked if Reagan was a good guy, they would say, yeah, he's a good guy. He's just craving this external affirmation to know that he was okay. Then he goes to college and none of his friends are there now to tell him that he's doing good. Uh, So he starts drinking and he finds a new way to gain affirmation by becoming the, f- the fun, drunk party guy. Eventually, around 22 years old, he walks away from his faith, um, you know, kind of becoming agnostic because it's just not serving him anymore. If anything, there's just this constant guilt that just doesn't feel good. And what's the point? 
He continues to drink more and more, gets a few different jobs that make him feel important through the week. Then it's partying and drinking on the weekends, and then waking up on Monday with the shakes to go back to a job that gives him some form of external affirmation. Then he tells me about this weekend trip that he goes on with several guy friends, and they're whitewater rafting, having a good time. He says he's drinking and being silly, but then something happened that really makes him slow down and reflect for the first time in a long time. I come in and like try and uh, some of the guys that were asleep, like I start trying to screw around with them, like stick my fingers in their nose, like, you know, shaving cream and stuff. And one of them was a Marine who has a really severe case of PTSD. And he's one of them. I was in his wedding. He's a friend of mine, but I'm screwing around with him and he wakes up and he freaks. And so he like does this wrestling move on me where he like stomps my ankle and throws me over and he snaps my ankle, he snaps my, my fibula in half. Um, and so that causes me to have to like slow down for like six weeks and get this, I have to get an operation and like six weeks of recovery before I can walk again. And this girl is like, I'm not going to take care of you. And so all of a sudden I found myself like unable to go to a bar, unable to get on a plane alone in my house, sitting on a couch, icing my leg, like alone with my thoughts for the first time. This is the first time some of my friends start to tell me, my closest friends who are really brave, who I really love for this, like, and, and my mother, you have a drinking problem. I still don't hear that for another two or three years. Um, but like that was this beginning of, okay, buddy, um, what you're doing is not working. And that was the first time that I started to go, Reagan, you're missing some sort of a larger spiritual conversation in your life. So he continues drinking for the next couple of years, but he has these, this handful of relationships and friendships that stick with him through it and love him into seeing a new possibility for his life. So I asked him about this time and about what these people in his life, like what, what did they do that opened up something in him? Did they show him that missing piece that he felt like he's been missing his whole life. I could draw a line to, back to, they have something. There's something out there that they have that I don't. What did you figure out? Did you figure out? What have you found that uh, they had that you, that you didn't? How has that gone? Oh, this is lovely. This is so good because it's a couple things. So it's, it's okay. I realized it wasn't about what they had, but it's what they were willing to let go of. Hmm which is where the story of recovery comes in. Uh, it's about surrender. So the people that I looked at who were shining lights to me, they were willing to relinquish their idea of what controlling other people look like. They're willing to relinquish their idea of what, um, uh, being at the right place for their age, being at the right socioeconomic level for their age, being at the right place professionally for their age. They're willing to relinquish what that, that looked like as a marker of their identity. So there was this open handedness and this ability to not take life so seriously. Um, I think it's a Rumi that talks about wearing life like a loose garment. Like, so there are these people that wore life like a loose garment and, and at the same time, it was this 
realization that like whatever they had, it wasn't something that they had that I needed. What they had, what they had was they had realized that they didn't need to go discover anything. They just needed to recover what was already inside of them. And so then here comes the double entendre of the importance of the word recovery for me, which is that my whole life, I believe that I need to discover something outside of me to be whole and complete, but it's just the work of recovery. Like God's in there. <sighs> yeah. God's in there. God's in you from a little boy who was worried that the rapture might have happened when he didn't know where his parents were, or feeling guilty for singing the Ninja Turtles song, or feeling broken for not being able to speak in tongues, to saying, God's in there. Yeah. Oh, I just, I love that. I mean, I think that's the journey for most of us, right? Feeling like, I need to go find this thing I'm missing, or maybe I need to go accomplish this thing or learn this thing first. And that journey might be messy and it might involve developing an alcohol problem or fracturing important relationships. Yeah. But if you keep going, you eventually, or you hopefully find that there's nothing out there. You weren't missing anything the whole time because God's in there. Mm. I feel like I need to hear that over and over because in many ways it's so different from what I heard growing up that God is out there or up there or looking down on me or, or I need to get God into me somehow by praying or accepting or confessing or trusting or something. But maybe not, maybe God's not out there or not only out there, but somehow is in me too. And I don't need to do something to get God into me, but I need to like learn to recognize or relax into this already this thing that's already true that God's in me yeah I need to hear that like a few dozen times a week probably and not even like the sophisticated rational adult part of me that's not what needs to hear it, but maybe the the like child in me because I didn't hear that part of the truth very much growing up the little Brandon in me the vulnerable pre-rational Brandon needs to hear you're okay you're not missing anything. God's in there. And as we were ending our conversation, Reagan mentions this idea called internal family systems that is about doing just that. Um, so, you know, internal family systems is this idea that there's different parts of us that like if you ever, did you ever see that movie inside out the Pixar movie where there's the different people in the control room, right? So, so, there's different parts of me. There's five-year-old Reagan who's afraid to speak in tongues. There's teenager Reagan who doesn't feel like he fits in and has to do it perfect. There's college Reagan who feels like if I could just drink and screw it all. There's young adult Reagan. And so like internal family systems is this idea that when you're unsettled in your life, and invite to the table the part of you that's working really hard for security or to be seen or to be right. And tell them like, thank you for the, the work you think that you're doing that is good. 
Um, like, thanks for trying so hard to make me feel okay. But like, you don't have to work so hard anymore. Like you can, you can actually just rest. Um, yeah. So now God is the warm embrace that like, I always have been, I am right now and I, I always will be okay. Hmm. And if I can receive that for myself, then I can give it to others. But my whole life, I haven't been able to receive it for myself. And so, son of a bitch, that's what they're talking about when they say, accept Jesus into your heart. <laughs> son of a bitch. That's what they were talking about when they say, accept Jesus into your heart. Oh, that makes me smile with like tears in my eyes. <sighs> Thank you so much, Reagan, for sharing those vignettes of your story makes me emotional, makes my heart hurt, and fills me with joy at the same time to hear someone embrace all of their past like that and turn it into something beautiful. <sighs> if you'd like to connect, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Reagan's story or maybe hear a bit of your own story. And you can do that at almost.church. That's the website or the Instagram. Also, Brandon at almost.church is my email. Uh, yeah, I'd love to connect with you. This is basically my post-Sunday morning service announcement to grab a cup of coffee with me and awkwardly mingle in the back lobby after the service. <laughs> but not because this isn't church, just almost church. 